If you're trying to conceive and feeling overwhelmed with fertility advice, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to Don't Tell Me to Relax, your fertility podcast and antidote to unhelpful fertility information. I'm Hannah, a fertility acupuncturist, teacher and campaigner for better fertility education. This podcast aims to empower and inform you about your menstrual cycle and fertility. It's basically all that information you didn't get in sex ed at school with the aim of improving your understanding of your reproductive health and optimizing your fertility. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Don't Tell Me to Relax. I am joined by the very lovely Catherine, who I can see wearing a gorgeous green top. Catherine is an embryologist at the Lister Fertility Clinic and has very kindly come in and spoken to our Facebook community before and also to our team because embryology is such a fascinating part of fertility and such a, I don't know, I always feel like completely in awe and um, just you know, blows my brain whenever I meet an embryologist because you are so brilliantly clever and amazing at what you do. And we're really grateful that you came on and you've spoken to the community group and that you're here on the podcast today. So Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself, say a little bit about where you work, what you do, and also your background, like how do you become an embryologist? <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to, to chat to you. Um, so yeah, I'm an embryologist at Lister, a senior embryologist, um, and I am also the genetics lead there. So um, I manage the genetics program and anything to do with the genetic testing, I kind of um, keep it running and keep it going. Uh, so I've been in embryology for about 20 years. Um, I started off at university and, and just really enjoyed the reproduction side of things and, um, you know, found it really interesting. Um, and actually, my professor at the time said, go off and get some some work experience um, in, in London, go, go and sort of ring around the sperm banks and see if you can get a bit of experience there. Um, the plan was to go back and do a, a PhD with him, but I, I got a job at, at one of the big clinics, um, ended up just really enjoying it. And they they offered me a trainee position and and it kind of went on from there. Yeah, I can't. I, it always blows my mind when you say that you've you've been in the industry for twenty years because 20 you years. literally don't look old enough to be oh, you're, around. You are too kind. <laughs> Today, because you're like you have a focus in genetics, that I thought that it would be really good to talk specifically about genetics because it is an ever. It feels to me, and I don't know obviously because I'm not an expert, but it feels to me like it's an ever changing world. And it feels like the technology and the processes have changed so much in the last five, 10 years. So I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about that. And, and so what I'd like to start with is to talk really about this idea of sort of, you know, what are genetics? Like, what, what is it all about? And why is it so important? Like, you know, if, if, no, if you didn't understand anything, sort of tell us the basics of what genetics is. Um, so it's important to point out that I'm not a geneticist. I am the, the genetics embryologist, but um, as you know, the genetics field is is absolutely massive. So um, I specialize in embryology, looking at the genetics. Um, in terms of IVF and in terms of fertility, every individual will need to have 23 pairs of chromosomes um, and they're numbered one to 22. And the 23rd pair of chromosomes is the sex chromosomes. So either XX for a female, or XY for a male. Um, so 
every healthy individual needs to have that complement to sort of grow and develop and to have healthy offspring. Um, when you get too few or too many chromosomes, that's where things can go wrong. Um, and that is the main sort of cause of miscarriages, um, of implantation failure um, and things like that. Um, there are very few chromosomal abnormalities that can go to term. So I think one of the most common ones is, is what we call trisomy 21, where an individual has three copies of, of chromosome 21. And that's, as, as most people know, a Down syndrome individual. Um, but the, the genetics are important to make sure not only that you can function normally, um, but that you can go on to have a, a healthy, healthy offspring. Yeah, because we hear that a lot when um, people have miscarriage that often people are told uh it must be a you know it, what there was something genetically wrong with that embryo developing which is why it, it stopped and and am i right is it that is still the most common cause of miscarriage it's it's the one of the major reasons that, that people miscarry yeah um but it's important to remember it's not the only reason so Although it's easy to blame the embryo for being chromosomally abnormal, it's important to remember that there are other things that, that can be causing you to, to miscarry. So can you tell us a little bit about karyotyping? Because, again, it's something that I don't hear that much about. But, you know, having done a little bit of research into it and having worked with some people through clinic, it's something that I think is really, really interesting. So could you explain what karyotyping is and the testing is around that? Um, so karyotyping is, is where we take a blood sample from a patient um, and send the blood off for analysis to look to see whether that patient has got the right amount of, of chromosomes. So um, as, as I said, you need to have those 23 pairs of chromosomes. Um, there are a very small percentage of people walking around the population that will have what we call a translocation. Um, so it could be um, that two of the chromosomes, so they've got all of the right chromosomal information, but two of the chromosomes have either swapped over a little bit of genetic information or two of the chromosomes are effectively kind of stuck together. Um, and so for these patients that have this, what we call a translocation, um, they, as I said, have all of the right genetic information in, in their karyotype, but it's slightly, they've got a rearrangement. So when they come to have um, offspring, some of the embryos that they generate will, will have what we call an unbalanced translocation. So it will have the wrong amount of information, the wrong amount of chromosomes within within that embryo. I was just going to say that there are a couple of other sort of um, things that the karyotype might pick up. It might be that they have either a duplication um, or a deletion of, of, of one of the chromosomes as well. So that's that's one of the other things the karyotype detects. And so does this mean that it, so I presume when you do the blood test, you do it for the male and the female. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then, what? Um, you know, if you if something comes up, can you still? Is it that every single time you try to conceive and every time an embryo is formed, it's going to have problems, or is it just the majority? Like, is it a blanket kind of this is not going to happen if you've got like one of these issues is identified? Does it mean it can never happen naturally, or does it just mean that? it's more likely to happen? Um, that's a good question. So obviously there are so many different translocations out there and, and different combinations that can occur. But um, generally, if you have a translocation, um, you can come to us and we can do a, a process called PGTSR where we can do the genetic testing on the embryos. 
um, and we can then select an embryo that is either completely normal for the, the chromosomes or has a balanced translocation. So effectively has the same kind of carrier type as, as the, the parent. And then, yeah, certainly those embryos can, can go on to be implanted and, and, and have a, a healthy life birth. In terms of like who who would you do this test on like like who would you know who would think okay this might be something i want to investigate like is there um kind of like a criteria when you think in clinic okay this couple or this person sitting in front of me we might need to do this test on them like how do you decide does it happen to everybody or not so we don't do that test routinely on everyone because obviously it's an extra expense and and um if it's not indicated then it it, is not something we want to sort of run. Um, If a patient's had recurrent miscarriage or recurrent implantation failure, those patients are definitely candidates for karyotyping. Um, Some patients come to us knowing already that that it's in the family. They may have an aunt or a sibling or an uncle that's that's had um, a a translocation. So those patients definitely need karyotyping. Um, So yeah, they they are the main candidates of, of who we'd recommend it to. So it's kind of the sort of repeat those people, unfortunately, who've been on that usually, I imagine, have been on a road for quite some time and been through either never getting pregnant. Is that right? You could just never, you know, you've been trying and trying and trying. You've tried IVF and it's never achieved any positive result. Then you would think this is somebody we need to do this test on. Yeah, it's it's actually more likely that the recurrent miscarriage. But I think if a patient has had quite a few repeated um, failures, then rather than continuing to do the same thing again, a karyotype would be quite a reasonable thing to recommend. They present with with recurrent miscarriage, sadly. Okay. And um, did I see something about secondary infertility as well? Did I read about secondary infertility and it being, um, that being a flag? Yeah, it's it's not unusual for a patient to come through and and have a a healthy live birth and, and then find out later that they've got a translocation because you can generate normal embryos. Um, mm. And if you're lucky enough to get pregnant on your first attempt with a, a balanced or a normal embryo, mm. then um, yeah, certainly those those patients can can later on realise that they've got a translocation. Gosh, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because lots of people assume, you know, you've had one healthy live birth that therefore you're, you you know it will happen again. That's a very common kind of um, assumption, isn't it? Yeah, I think unfortunately you do get a, a bit of um you do think well I'm, I've had one I'm, I'm going to be okay for the next one and it, it can be just as hard if not even harder to sort of come to terms with the fact that you're, you're struggling to conceive I think yeah yeah and and so we you just mentioned then well we were going to talk about PGTA but you called it something different then what did yeah. you say what you so said PGTSR say so- When we do any kind of testing that looks at the chromosomes, we either do PGTA, which is pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. So literally just looking at the chromosomes and seeing whether there's too few or too many. Um, If a patient has a known translocation, um, so they know that they've got a structural rearrangement in their karyotype, then we do a process called PGTSR, where it's very similar to the PGTA, but we also look very closely at the chromosome, the area that we know has got the, the loss or gain. Um, so it's it's a similar type of test, but but just slightly different for the translocation patients. Okay. And so PGTA, 
has become increasingly popular especially I don't know what what it's like in in how you feel about it but in terms of what I've seen in clinic over the last two years maybe maybe the last three years it just seems to be an increasing number of people coming through our clinic now choosing to do PGTA and so can you tell us a little bit about what that is first of all please yeah so the PGTA testing um you would have um a straightforward IVF cycle like like uh, any other patient coming through. Um, and we will grow the embryos to day five or day six after a collection. Um, those embryos that reach the blaster stage, which is the next stage of embryo development, um, we can take out between sort of uh, two and eight cells. We send the cells off for testing um, and we freeze the blastocyst. Um, the cells get sent to a genetics lab who then can look at the chromosomes within the embryo um, and detect which embryos have got the right amount of chromosomes in and those can therefore go on to be transferred and it can detect the embryos that have got too few or too many chromosomes within it and those embryos um, are, are not transferred. But the, the research is very clear that those embryos don't go on to produce healthy healthy pregnancies. It's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's fascinating. I have to say over the last 20 years, sort of my entry as a sort of 21-year-old embryologist to what, what we're seeing now um, it's phenomenal that the amount of change and it's it's really exciting to see where we're going to be in the next 10 years because it's it's changing yearly it's 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 incredible and am i right in saying that the pgta testing is still from the sort of hfea so like the governing body that regulates fertility is it still considered a red light in terms of it's like you know they have their the traffic light system don't they as to yeah yeah this is kind of approved and there is enough robust evidence to say this is a, a viable test or procedure. Is P, where does PGTA sit on the tra traffic light system? So unfortunately, PGTA is, is um, still considered a, a part of the red light system for HFEA. Um, yeah. A lot of the information out there is, is talking about previous kind of technology. So it's talking about day three biopsy, which was done um, sort of pre-2014. Um, and um, the techniques have changed a lot. So the data that's coming out now um, is suggesting actually um, it, in a certain group of patients, it can be really, really, really positive effect. Um, but unfortunately, it is still still a red light on the, on the HFEA website. And do you think that, so do you think that as more evidence comes out and with the new techniques that it's going to become green? Do you think it will change? Um, I think it will a surprise if it goes from red to green um but i yeah. think definitely i think it needs reevaluating and looking into and and certainly for a, a certain group of patients it is is definitely very um a very good tool to use so so sort of following on from that who would you sort of you know in at the lister who do you recommend do you recommend this test to people or do you wait until um patients ask for this test like how does it work yeah it's a good question. So it's um, it's all patient sort of um, dependent. So um, the clinician will have consultation with the patient um, and tailor a specific program and a, a specific um, protocol for that patient. So um, generally, um, it's it's not advisable for those patients under thirty five because the pregnancy rates are, are really good in that group anyway. Mm. Um, and the percentage of um, embryos that are abnormal in that age group are, are quite low anyway. So um, what's the rough percentage? Do you, sorry, I'm, 
That's I'm right. You, do you have an idea of a rough percentage of 35 and below? Yeah, so at 32 um, of the embryos that make blastocyst stage, we see about 15% of them to be genetically abnormal. Yeah. Um, by the time it gets to 35, it's about 25%. So one in four of embryos of a, a, a blastocyst of a 35-year-old will be genetically abnormal. Um, yeah. By the time you get to 38, it goes up to about 39%. Um, mm. And then at 40, it goes up to about 50, about 58%. Um, okay. and up to 74% by the time you're 42. So those stats okay. show that actually after 38, it, it probably is something that um, will be beneficial for you just to make sure that we're going to the right embryo straight away. Um, saying mm. that we have some patients that are under that 35 kind of age group that have had um, recurrent miscarriage, um, yeah. that have had an effective pregnancy, or just are really nervous and, and just want to know what the genetics of their embryos are doing. So um, we're very much of the sort of the thought process that it's informed decisions. So as long as the patient understands what we're recommending, um, you know, we're happy to sort of support the patient in, in their treatment. So, so actually to go through the process, so you do egg collection, fertilization, wait till you have embryos, then you yeah. take cells from the embryos, Send that one stage. stage. Um, we ide ideally sort of five to eight, but sometimes it could be, you know, anything from two to eight is fine, but usually around five cells. The embryo has to get to the blastocyst stage for us to be able to, to test them. And I think what a, a lot of patients are so surprised at is the drop-off rate along the way. So you may be lucky enough to get, say, 10 eggs, um, but not all of those are going to fertilize. Not all of those are going to continue developing and not all of those will make it to blastocyst stage. And that in a way is is nature's way of filtering out some of those really genetically abnormal ones that, that don't get to that day five day six stage yeah yeah and then so i guess as for the person going through it you are not going to be doing a fresh transfer because you are freezing everything waiting for your results to come back in and then yeah. from, from that point you then would do a frozen transfer so some patients actually opt to have a fresh transfer of an untested embryo and then oh, okay. use the genetic testing on their excess embryos, just so that when they come around to doing their FET, they know, you know, what they've got in storage and they know which one to go, go for first. Um, yeah. And that in a way, say if you've got four excess blastocysts, it does help you instead of thinking, oh, I've got four blastocysts, that's fantastic. You know, it might be that two of those are genetically abnormal. So it gives you a bit more um, of a better management of your expectations, knowing, you know, what you've got remaining in storage. But then other patients perhaps that have had recurrent miscarriage or have had um, those affected pregnancies, they will do what we call a freeze all cycle and not have a fresh transfer, test everything and then wait seven working days up to two weeks for the results to come back and then hopefully yeah. plan an FVT after that. Yeah. And so what, I guess, I, yeah, I guess so. So I guess the numbers that come back that are genetically normal that varies depending on your age group it depends on your age group um and it, it can go cycle to cycle you know we talk about statistics and we give our patients statistics but sadly yeah. you know some people won't meet that statistic they'll you know they'll be in the the lower end and and happily some people will be in the higher end and actually it's not unusual for, for a patient to get all abnormals one cycle and and to come through in the next cycle and, and get a good amount of normal embryos so you have to be a bit cautious about sort of listening to the statistics because it doesn't always sort of fit every every patient. 
So at what age do you, do you, do you um, let's say, you know, ignoring everything else, if we're just talking age, at what age do you say to you, do you recommend the PGTA? Is it 37 or 38? Um, 37 or 38 and above is, is probably when we do have that conversation with them. Um, we probably wouldn't talk to a patient younger than that about having it um, unless they, they suggested it. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of information out there and, and a lot of patient information. So if a patient is thinking about having PGTA, always always ask your doctor if, if, if you want to discuss it. Um, you know, the doctors and the embryologists should be able to go through that with you. And I presume just I've, I've completely forgot what I was going to ask you then. And it's all it's just come back to me. I'm so happy when my brain does that. So let's say you have five embryos and on day five, how do you and, and so let's say the person is going to um, they're going to do they're going to transfer one and they're going to send four off for um, testing. How yeah. are you choosing which of those embryos to put back in fresh? So at the moment, we look um, and we, we select on a morphological sort of basis. So the embryo that gets to the advanced blastocyst stage first um, and is, is top quality. So when we grade embryos, we give them a number score of one to six, and that is the, the stage of development. And then we give them two um, letters from A to D with A, D, a being top quality. Um, and the two letters, one is grading what we call the inner cell mass, which is the, the cells that go on to produce the baby. And the second letter is for the trophectoderm, which is the cells that go on to produce the placenta and all the placental tissue. Um, so we pick at the moment the one that is morphologically effectively looking the prettiest. But the research shows and, and our, you know, our work does show that it's not always that one that is mm. the one that's chromosomally normal. Um, yeah. And so what at the moment going through the clinic, what sort of percentage of people are doing PGTA testing? Is it is it ever creasing or is it kind of still this, a smaller number of people actually doing it? We um, at the end of last year, about 20, 25 percent of our frozen embryo transfers were PGT transfers. Um, mm. And this year, I think it's easily going to, to be up to about 40 percent, I think. So, wow. it's, so it has it's, seen a massive increase. increase. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, for those patients, especially those patients in the older age groups, um, it's the pregnancy rates are doing so well. So it's it's hard not to really think about PGTA as a good option for those patients when we are doing so well with with the pregnancy rates for mm. those groups. So if you have a PGTA tested embryo, what yeah. what is the difference in stats in terms of its success to go on then to be a healthy? Um, yeah pregnancy and birth what what is the sort of difference between let's say I make I try and make it as easy as possible because I know I'm at blocking stats let's say you're 38 and let's yeah. say you there's one person who's had the best looking embryo transferred freshly and there's another person who's had a PGTA tested embryo what is the kind of difference in success rates can you do a comparison yeah. like that so um it's I don't have the exact stats for a fresh 38-year-old, but for a PGT-tested yeah. embryo, at the moment in our lab, we're looking at around a 75% chance of pregnancy. Um, wow. And um, sadly, there's still going to be a, a group that does miscarry in that, yeah. so that's, it doesn't guarantee you an ongoing pregnancy. Um, but we're looking at around a 68% um, ongoing pregnancy rate, 70% at the moment. So yeah. Um, that is higher than what we would expect for a 38-year-old having a, yeah. a fresh, untested embryo. 
And so the 25% of unsuccessful, why is that? Is that because the test has not been able to check for all the different genetic issues that might cause miscarriage? Is that, am yeah. I right in that? Or So the test is only 98% accurate. Any genetic test out there is, is never going to be 100% accurate. So there is that yeah. very small risk of uh, a misdiagnosis. Um, there are lots of other reasons that people aren't getting pregnant. So there might be endometrial issues, which I know um, investigating the endometrium is, is one of your um, hot topics. Um, yeah. it, it might be that the embryo, although at the time we thought it did survive that freeze thaw process, once we transferred it back, perhaps it actually um, didn't survive as well as we thought. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why these patients don't get pregnant. Um, mm. And yeah, there might be something else going on at a, a different level that, that we don't know about. So mm. as I said, you know, that genetics has expanded so much in the last five, 10 years, but I'm sure in 10 years time, there'll be a group of patients that we look back on and think, oh, that's why they didn't get pregnant. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's changing so quickly. Yes. And so, um, because that's one of the things when, when I've heard, when I've sat with people and they've been talking about it in clinic, some people have sort of got this, you know, they've been told that, the risks of doing the test is too great. Like there, you know, there, yeah. there's risk of damage. There's risk of it not working. Is that, is that, and it sounds like that's why the HFEA were red. It was a red light years ago. Yeah. Is that still the case or is like technology moved on that that's much less likely to happen? Cause I guess with any, you know, it's human beings doing testings and yeah. know, human beings all kind of, there is always room for error. Yeah, so that there's always going to be a risk of damage with every extra step you do to, to the yeah. egg and embryo. Um, the risk of biopsy in our clinic is less than 1%. So there is a very small risk of damage. It is there, but it is quite low. Um, yeah. You've also got the the risk of the freezing process. Mm. You know, if a patient's going to freeze anyway, that risk is still going to be there. So um, looking at our stats at the moment, we've got about a 97% survival rate. So there is a, a very small risk of, of damage to the to the blastus with the freezing process. Mm. And the other thing is that a, lo a lot of people say if you've got like one or two embryos, say you've yeah. done around and that's kind of where you, you've ended up. Lots of people are told, well, it's not, it's not really worth doing the testing. If you've only got one or two, it's better to do a transfer. Is that kind yeah. of, is that the- That's, that's of... a good question actually. And it's, it's very, that's very patient dependent. Some patients, mm. um, you know, if they're young and they've got no history, then if they've only got one, then then perhaps it is best to transfer it rather than charging them the extra for the testing and then charging the extra for the, the frozen embryo transfer that they'll have to have. Um, but equally, if, if we've got a patient that's only got one blastocyst but has had um, a, termin a medical termination for, for a, a, an effective pregnancy or has had like quite a few miscarriages, then certainly mm. I think it's, it's definitely worth thinking about the PGT to get the answers to see and to give them the confidence, a bit more of confidence in, in the embryo that's being transferred. Yeah. Yeah. We have lots of people that um, I see who just want to do everything they can to m minimize the risk of miscarriage and that heartbreak yeah. of, you know, having to go through that when it wasn't going to be successful because the, the genetics weren't right. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, if you can avoid that, if there's an option yeah. to avoid that, that pain and heartbreak, then it makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that you do that. certainly for those patients, um, yeah. then genetic testing is a really good option for them. Yeah. And am I right, is, is karyotyping or um, 
PGTA, is it only in private clinics or is it available also in NHS clinics? Um, so karyotyping, I'm not sure whether you can get that done on the NHS. Um, certainly yeah. if you've got a history, if um, you know, you know you've got a sibling, then your GP should be able to run that test for you. Um, yeah. PGTA testing for um, for sort of aneuploidy is mainly in the private private units. I think it's it's not yeah. a, a treatment that the NHS offer unless you've got a specific condition in your family yeah. um, or unless you've got a sp specific gene disorder in your family. So, for example, if if you know that you've got cystic fibrosis in your family or you're a, a carrier of, of muscular dystrophy, or, uh, not a carrier, if, if you have muscular dystrophy, then mm. that treatment is available in the, the NHS. Do, do you think it will move to be more mainstream in the future? Do you think as kind of we, you know, the world kind of moves on and the technology, I don't know, do you think it will become more widely available, more widely used? Um, uh, in the NHS units or? Mm. Yeah. yeah, in the um, NHS units. I don't, sadly, I, I think with the way the funding is going, um, yeah. I, I can't see that happening in the near future, but um, I, I don't know you know what's going to happen in, in yeah in the future um so just to finish off actually how much does it actually cost to do um so we say if you want to do pgta testing is it yeah. do, are you charged per embryo or how does it work cost wise so it's different that the costing is is slightly different in in different units so um some units will charge you for a certain amount there's a sort of a one package charge for up to say up to seven or eight embryos um, at the Lister, we, we charge per embryo because we don't want a patient that's only got one or two embryos to pay the same as a patient that's fortunate enough to get sort of six or seven. So mm. um, at the moment, we charge £500 per embryo. Mm. Um, and um, then obviously you have to pay for the freezing um, on top of that. Mm. Okay, great. Thank you, Catherine, for all My that pleasure. information and help. If people want more information, where would you sort of, um, where would they go to read about it? Where can they find out more information? Um, so I, you know, the internet is a massive thing. So I'd always be a bit wary of going to the internet, but a lot of the major clinics that offer the testing um, have have got a section on their website about the PGT testing. Um, yeah. A good unit will be happy for a patient or a prospective patient to ring up and and have a chat with them about it. So I always say, you know, don't don't forget about the embryologist. Give us a call if, if you've ever got any questions or ever worried. Um, always give us a call and, and have a chat with us because we're happy, happy to talk to you all. Yes. Information, as we always say, is power, isn't it, in this situation? Yes, so I think exactly. Do all about research decision making. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Catherine, for your time. As always, it's lovely to see you. Always and... lovely to speak to you. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> I will put all the um, information on um, the show notes if people want to find out more about what we've been talking about today. So thanks a lot, Catherine, and we'll hopefully see you soon. Hopefully, yes. Thank you, Hannah. If you've enjoyed listening to this and want to find out more, then come and join my free community in Facebook. We have loads of resources. You can catch up on all our previous webinars and be the first to know about forthcoming events. To sign up, just follow the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to work one-to-one -one with myself or one of the team, then please see our website, hannahpern.com, where you can book in directly or organize a discovery call to find out how we can support your fertility and your reproductive health. Thank you.